0: Welcome to today's BCOG online podcast episode. These weekly sermons are a part of the growing online ministry of God. Buford Church of God is a growing, multi-campus and multicultural Pentecostal church north of Atlanta. We are reaching people around the world to see life's transformed through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you for tuning in with us and enjoy today's episode with Senior Pastor Joey Grizzle.
1: Please remain standing. Second Kings chapter 6. Starting with verse 12. And one of the king of Syria's servants. This is the king of Syria. Said to the king, none, my lord, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. That'll get your attention right there. So he said, go and see where he is that I may send an angel and get him. And it was told him saying, surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for they that be for us are more than they that be against us. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Say amen at the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. This is a really cool story. I love watching these stories unfold in the Old Testament. There's an element of of intrigue, a certain amount of sarcasm. It's a bit tongue-in-cheek sometimes in the way it's told, and, and I just enjoy hearing how these unfold, how the enemy is confounded by the people of God. And in this particular story, Syria and Israel had been at war for some time. And it wasn't one of those wars that everybody went to battle and it all got worked out in a day. It was one of those skirmish wars where it was constant battling and constant espionage and that kind of thing. And The dilemma was that the prophet Elisha in Israel... Would dream at night the battle plans of the king of Syria. He would get a word from God and he would then go tell the king of Israel, Don't go around this side of the mountain, go around that side of the mountain. They're over here in the valley, we'll be over here on the mountain. Today they're on the mountain, we'll be in the valley. And the king of Syria grew furious. He said, Someone is spying on me. One of you is a traitor. And the servant of the house said, no, no, no. We're not guilty. There's a prophet in Israel who tells the king of Israel the very things you talk about in your bedroom. The king of Syria grew furious. He said, we'll kill him. Go get him. So they gathered an army, chariots, horsemen, swordsmen. They went and surrounded that city, not to attack an army, but to take captive and ultimately kill the prophet that had been telling their secrets to their adversary. That's where the story picks up. They slipped in at night, surrounded the city, and when they drew back the curtains to let the sunlight in in the morning, there was the army all around them. And the servant looked at Elisha and said, what are we going to do? And that's when Elisha said, don't be afraid. They that be for us are more than they that be against us. And then he prayed a simple prayer. God, open his eyes that he might see. And When he lifted up his eyes, he was surrounded by the armies of heaven. I have a very simple Thought here, and I want you to take it home with you. I feel like this word that I'm about to give you is very specific for an individual. I believe that you're going through something, and you need to know this. This is an oft repeated theme in Scripture. You're asking God for provision when what you need is vision to see that the answer has already been provided. You are blind to the fact that God has already supplied all of your needs according to His riches and glory. You are surrounded by the answer to your prayer. But you're too blind to see it. Let me tell you how this happens before I dive into the sermon part. Have you ever bought a car that you've never owned before? Perhaps you bought a Chevrolet for the first time. Or a Toyota. Or you went and bought a BMW. Or you had an SUV. You bought a sports car. And when you're driving home with your new car, a miracle happens. You start to see your car everywhere. You say something like this. I didn't realize how many people have bought a car just like the one I'm driving. Until you own it, you can't see it. And the dilemma with you is you want God to answer your prayer before you let him live in your heart. So the only thing you see is through the eyes of unbelief. You see hypocrisy in the church. You see danger on every front. You see everyone gossiping and you see all of the anger and sin and frustration because it is a reflection of what you already own. But the day you let God move into your heart is the day He will open your eyes and you will realize that angels encamp round about those that love and fear Him. You'll realize there's a lot of people who still glorify His name. You'll see the glory of God and the laughter of a child as God begins to speak to you through the sunset and the stars and you'll live with an attitude of gratitude because your eyes have been opened and you realize your prayers have already been answered. I believe it with all of my heart. This is a theme throughout Scripture that people are often praying for things that the solution is already in their hands. For example, it starts out, let's say, with Abraham. On his way up Mount Moriah, he was having to sacrifice on that mountain. His little boy asked him, I have the fire, we have the wood, but where's the lamb? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb. And went on top of that mountain. This drama unfolds between God and Abraham. And when God finally spoke, the Bible says Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw a lamb in the thicket. While Abraham's coming up one side, the provision's coming up the other side. So Abraham named God with a brand new name on that day. He said, you're just not Jehovah. You're Jehovah Jireh because my God shall supply Is there a witness in the house that you've been down to a place where you didn't know how it was going to be provided, but you've encountered that God shall supply all your needs according to what? His riches in glory. What about Moses when he stood on the banks of the Red Sea and he had the army of Egypt behind him and the dangerous waters in front of him and he fell on his knees he cried out to god and the people of god talked of stoning moses and as he cried out God said, why are you crying out to me? Stand up and speak to these people that they might move forward. He stood up and said, what will I use? And God said, what's in your hand? All I have is the rod of the wilderness. All I have is the staff of authority. God said, lift it over the waters. And the very thing he already had in his hand was the very weapon that God needed to part the waters. Can I tell you that what you have in your hand has already been given you to defeat the giant that's going to be in your tomorrow. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I love the attitude of David when Saul tried to put the armor of the king on him and he tried it out and he said, no, let me just get five smooth rocks and let me get the slingshot that I've been carrying around for years because David knew that what God gave him yesterday was good enough for the giant that was in his today. Maybe you're not picking up what I'm putting down. What about the widow of Zarephath? She had one little barrel that that had a little bit of flour in it, just a little bit of oil. And she said in her heart, I'll make one more cake for me, and I'll make one more cake for my son, and then we're going to die. But the word of God came to her house that day, and the prophet said, long before you make a cake for yourself, make one for me. Setting in motion the great eternal principle of Scripture. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. And she went over there and she made a cake for the prophet. She went back to that same barrel and she said, Maybe I overlooked it. So she scraped out what was left, and there was a little bit more. And she made a cake for herself and her son. And the next day, when the sun comes out, she goes out there to that same barrel, and there to her amazement is a little bit more flour and a little bit more oil. And as long as that famine lasted, the provision of God lasted. What about the widow who lost her husband and went to the prophet of God and said, Now the creditors are coming to take my son and put him into slavery. And he said, woman, what will I do with you? What do you have in your house? She said, I have nothing. But a little bit of oil. Is there a witness in the house that can tell me that when you get down to nothing. God is up to something. He said, you go gather vessels and don't you gather just a few. And she took those vessels and she started to pour the oil. And I'm sure at some moment that mama shouted, like your mama perhaps shouted, when the Spirit of God came on her and she realized, honey, bring me another pot. Get me a bucket. Go get me a vase. This oil's not running out. Is there a witness in the house that can say, my God supplied all of my needs according to his riches and glory? He came in right on time. What about Gideon behind the wine press when God said, you go in this might of yours, this power that you have? He said, who am I? He says, I am the one that will be with you. Now go on that hill and blow a trumpet. And God used that little warrior to slay the Midianite army. He already had the power in his hands. Ask that little boy who had two fish, five loaves of bread. When he brought the provision to God, God broke the bread and the fish and he fed 5,000. Ask Peter when he couldn't pay his taxes. And Jesus said, go fishing one more time. And the first fish that you catch, when you reel it in, look inside its mouth, there'll be enough money in the mouth of that fish to pay your taxes and mine. Can I tell you, you don't know what you don't know. When you cry out to God and you obey God, you're going to realize that you may have been fishing all night long and you didn't catch anything and it's only because you were on the wrong side of the boat. You don't need provision. You need vision. I'm going to shoot straight with you. I get ticked off at stupid. I, I can't handle it. I try to be compassionate with all The sins that come across my way. But when somebody is just a dummy. (laughs) Have you ever met someone who thinks they're intelligent and says there's no God? They think that's a testament to their IQ. I don't believe in a God. Well, that's great. So you don't believe in the Big Bang. Well, I believe in the Big Bang. Well, that's a form of, of a God. Well, no, it's not. It's just power source. You know, dark matter, the God particle. I mean not You see, when we believe in creation, we believe in one miracle. When you believe in evolution, you have to have more faith. Because you believe in a million miracles. You believe that there was a miracle of, of a celestial body forming a solar system. And that there was one planet that oscillated around the sun and happened to be the right distance. And that H2O was present in this oxygenated atmosphere and that all of these miracles came together and these organic compounds formed a living cell then made a leap and the living cell crawled up like a tadpole out of a pond and become the frog and the frog sprouted wings and 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 all of a sudden you have to believe in miracle after miracle after miracle and you call me the person with faith let me show you a miracle you ready Here's the greatest miracle in all of the universe. This, this can't happen anywhere else in the universe. This is the absolute most astounding miracle in the history of billions of years of celestial bodies hurling through the universe. You ready? Let me show you another one. The earth spinning. The sun flying through the universe. And I am. I can go upstairs and down them. It's just gravity. Okay, what is gravity? How is it created? Do you realize that gravity is still a theory? It's the theory of gravity. We don't know how it works. It just works. All we know is somebody turned the light switch on and left the air conditioner running. We're living on a planet with water and oxygen, the right temperature, the right distance from the sun. You know, in the Old Testament, they did something that's very unusual. They were grateful for the food. They actually believed. I know it's a shock. But they believed that when they put the seed in the ground, that the seed came from God. And they also believed that when the rains came, the rains came from God. They believed that God answered the prayers by allowing the sun to come up and to go down, by providing seasons of harvest and seasons of sowing and reaping. And today... When you go out to eat, some people may not even remember to say thank you for the food. In the words of Bart Simpson, we worked for it, somebody else cooked it, thanks God for nothing. You're swimming in an ocean of miracles, dying of thirst. You are surrounded by the manifest power of God and you don't even realize that everything you need has been supplied. Do you think that the God who created the sun and the stars is somehow ineffective in answering your prayers for what you're going through? Now let me say this to you before I dive into the illustration of this sermon. Some of you are praying prayers that have nothing to do with your personal authority. You're asking God to provide for you something that is dependent upon the decision of someone else. And you live your life angry at God because your faith depends on the obedience of someone who's not serving God. So the only way to make you happy is for that backslidden husband to straighten up. The only way to make you happy is for those children that are in rebellion to obey God. The only way you're going to be happy is if Washington, D.C. gets their act together. The stock market becomes stable. The Russians leave Ukraine alone. And you start praying for things that are not under your control. They're not under your authority. God will allow disobedient people to remain disobedient. But if your prayers ever get to the place you rely on the bank vaults of God for you and what you're going through, I promise you that your prayers will become salted with the faith as God answers prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer. Let me give you an example. You want to pray something that God will automatically answer? Heavenly Father, would you come to church right now? Let your spirit abide here. For where two or three are gathered together in your name, you said you would be right there in the middle of them. As a matter of fact, God, give me wisdom today. For anyone who asks of wisdom, it will be given to them. Lord, let me have the power of the Holy Ghost in my heart. For you're a good, good father and will not hold good things from your children. Start praying For the things of heaven and not of earth. Set your affections on things above and not on things below. Your eyes are looking at the enemy. What God wants you to see is have eyes that can look for God. For only the pure in heart shall see God. If you'll buy the vehicle called the power of the Holy Spirit. If you'll buy the vehicle called salvation. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Your eyes will be open and you will see God. And I love the way this story progresses. When he opens his eyes, he sees the army. They're surrounded by chariots and the horsemen and the armies of God. And I know what you're thinking. No, that's just for him. He was a great man of God. That's for that story. But that doesn't apply to me. That's not true. The Bible says that the prophets of the Old Testament understood in part... But we, of the blood washed and the redeemed, understand completely that Jesus Christ is the salvation of our lives. And the Bible says that the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than these. That angels encamp round about those that love and fear Him. Why? Because we know the name. The name which is above all names. So that when we look out the window at the devil, you know exactly what to say. I don't have to wait on an angel. I don't have to wait on the provision of God. I can say in the name of Jesus, the devil has no authority over my life. In the name of Jesus, get thee behind me. In the name of Jesus. Because at that name, Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Am I right about it? Scott taught me this when I was young. My dad went to him and Scott had been afraid of the dark. And so dad taught him a spiritual weapon. He said, when you go in there and you're afraid of the dark, you just stand there and you say, get thee behind me, Satan, in the name of Jesus. And the devil has to leave and he won't bother you. So Scott started marching all over that house and turning lights off as he went. He'd go into a dark room, a dark closet, and he'd rebuke that darkness and tell the devil to get thee behind me, Satan, in the name of Jesus. And then he wanted to teach me how to do it. I called him Cotty at that time. I was too young to understand the importance of all the vowels and consonants being part of the name, and I I called him Cotty. So Cotty came to me, and he said, Now, I know sometimes you're scared of the dark. So what we're going to do is, when you go in there, you say, get thee behind me, Satan, in the name of Jesus. Satan, get behind Cotty. (laughs) Not me. Behind you. Get thee behind Cotty in the name of Jesus. (laughs) He was terrified all over again because he had to fight his demons and mine after that. We have the name of Jesus in our arsenal now. We understand the devil has already been defeated. We don't have to be intimidated of the devil because no matter what he says, he can't put Jesus back in the grave. He walked out with keys to death, hell in the grave. My name's written down. Oh, listen to me. Let me tell you something. I hope we can see the video, because you'll see this to be true one day. If the Lord will replay this little clock for you, I want you to, I want you to be able to see what your father's face looked like the day you got saved. My dad has a great salvation experience. I love to hear him tell the story of going to Gainesville Church of God and crushing a cigarette on the stoop of the church before he went in. Got on the back row of that church and gripped the backs of that pew till his knuckles turned white. Seemed like every word was straight to him. Went down to that altar, they told him to confess his sins, and after 45 minutes, they informed him, you don't have to name all of them. <laughs> but oh, if you could have seen it. Dad, would you stand up and just kind of walk slow? Just walk slow towards the front here. If you could have seen heaven... The Bible says there's more rejoicing in heaven over one that comes home than over 99 that are saved. And God the Father said, bring me the book. Bring me the book. And he opened up the Lamb's book of life. And when dad said that name, Jesus, he wrote that name down, Michael Grady Grizzle, and he wrote his name down in the Lamb's Book of Life. And the Bible says that just like the prodigal son's father who came off the porch to meet him, God met him in that altar. He said, why don't you go ahead and set him aside to be filled with the Holy Ghost? Why don't you go ahead and call him to preach and give him a ministry? Let him build churches. He's not worthy. No, he's not worthy, but now it's not him. It's the blood that was shed for him his name has been written down no weapon formed against him will prosper (laughs) greater will be he that's in him than he that is of the world he will dwell in the secret place of the most high and dwell under the shadow of the almighty a thousand may fall at his side and ten thousand at his right hand but it will not come nigh him oh if you could have seen your daddy's face the day you got saved you would no longer be afraid of the weapons of hell because God is on your side. Thanks, Dad. Thank you, Dad. Yeah. And then he prayed an unusual prayer. He said, Now, nah, I want you to strike them all with blindness. And they groped in the dark. And they followed the prophet. He took them all the way to the king of Israel. It's a great story. I'll let you read it when you get home. I don't have time to tell it all. But this business of striking the enemy with blindness is a very important principle in Scripture. There's a book titled God's Smuggler where a missionary was taking Bibles into the Soviet Union and he would take these Bibles and he would distribute those Bibles it was illegal to do that at that time the underground church of Russia was a persecuted church you've met Slavic Radchuk spent time in prison his family was sent to prison I met a pastor in Lviv Ukraine who almost died while he was in jail for preaching the gospel while in the Soviet Union. He tells the story of being blind from malnutrition and his kidneys failing from the abuse. And while he was in the jail cell of that basement area of that building, water was coming in on a cold winter day into his cell and he was freezing to death. But he heard somebody singing. And he said, I... I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit come into that jail cell. And the Holy Spirit healed him. His eyes were opened. His kidneys were healed. And I got to go to his church and hear him preach. Well, God's smuggler was taking Bibles into that part of the world during that terrible time for the church. It was illegal to transport Bibles so he would hide them in compartments of his vehicle. But one day he was making a huge transport and he had Bibles stacked up in every seat. He had them in his passenger seat, he had them in the back seat of the car, he had them in the trunk, he had Bibles all in the vehicle going to give them away in Russia. While he was driving he was stopped at a military blockade and they were investigating the cars and As they were walking up to his vehicle, he said, You've made the blind eyes see, and today, God, I ask you to make the seeing eyes blind. You can go get that book, and it describes how they would shine their lights through the windows, looking all in the trunk of the car, but they never saw one Bible. Because God confounded the enemy. They said, you're free to go. And he spread those Bibles all over the Soviet Union. And I'm a witness. I heard one of the first preachers who came to the Church of God convocation meeting at Lee University. I remember when they came out, when we went into that Russia, when they let the walls down. There was already a church there. There was already a Pentecostal believer there. And that church flourished and it spread like wildfire. Because God's glory went before them. You've heard Dr. Ron Charles tell the story. He came to our church. He's a missionary that we have supported. He has been in Egypt for many years. There were were several moments in Egyptian history, recent history, where the church was persecuted. I remember the pictures of the Coptic Christians being escorted to the beaches of Egypt and they are martyred on the beaches. And their death used as propaganda for those doing the execution. Dr Ron Charles lived in a village that was targeted for execution. He had some ability to speak to government officials and they asked him to inform the people and he said, "Can I have one request?" They said, "You'll have just one." He said, "Give me 3 days." He went back to that village and he began to move them out, he put them in a caravan. He put them on camels, got their supplies, and they went out into the Sahara Desert trying to beat the deadline before those executioners came and killed those Christians. And he prayed that prayer, Heavenly Father, don't let them see us. Blind their eyes to our movement. And he said it was a miracle when they woke up in the morning. There was a mist and a fog over the Sahara Desert. And God hid The exit of his people from that village and save the lives of all of those Christians. Rod Parsley tells the story of a pride parade that was going to come to the streets of Columbus. And they were going to march down those streets. And that pride parade was pornographic. It was abusive and rebellious. It brings with it a spirit of antagonism toward the gospel. And he said, we're going to go to that parade. And we're not going to protest. You're not going to yell at them. All I want you to do is stand on either side of those streets. And I want you to lift your hands and praise the Lord. And as those people started walking down the streets of Columbus, that church lifted their hands. And they started to glorify and magnify God. There was a little boy in that church that was with his parents he was there he was participating in the prayers best he could but he started to scream which shocked his family because the boy had never been able to scream and speak but he started to scream and as best he could word with his broken English he said my ears my ears he was born deaf He couldn't hear. But while they praised the Lord, he was healed. Rod Parsley went to God. He said, what happened? God said to him, when my people praise me, my glory comes down like a cloud, like a Shekinah cloud of glory, and the devil can't see through it. And when you began to magnify my name, the cloud of my glory came down on that street and it looked like the Midianites fighting against Gideon. They started to fight one with another because my glory created confusion in hell. And that principality and power that was over that parade saw that weak, sordid spirit that was on that child and he slew that little death demon And that baby was healed. And that's what brought about that miracle. That's his story. That's the way he tells it. But I think. I understand one thing to be eternally true. When my praise goes up, his glory comes down. When I begin to magnify God, he opens my eyes to the possibilities and he shuts the eyes of the devil to where I am. When I begin to magnify God, he opens up the windows of heaven and provides for my needs according to his riches and glory and he blinds the devil to where I am so that I dwell in the secret place of the Most High and abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I'm telling you, the answer to your prayer is already in your life. You're one praise away from the miracle occurring in your heart and in your mind. You're one prayer away. You're one conversation away from the glory of the Lord being manifest in the very need you've been begging for an answer for years. I bind a spirit of disobedience in you. Some of you, I'm, I'm confounded, I'm depressed, I'm discouraged. No, you're sexually active and you're not married. I bind that spirit of disobedience. Your depression is based upon sin, not upon what God is doing. Somebody talk to me. You're wrestling with with one of three enemies today, God, the devil, or you. And if you're wrestling with sexual promiscuity, if you're in perversion, if you're addicted to the Internet, if you're walking in a gambling addiction, if you have physical addiction to narcotics or some illegal drug, if you have something going on in your mind, a little girlfriend on the side or a boyfriend that's just your friend at 3 o'clock in the morning, I bind that spirit of stupid on you in the name of Jesus. And I'm telling you, you're being defeated because you're walking in disobedience. Obedience. If you'll come to the altar of God and buy into the gospel of Jesus Christ and let Him sanctify you, He will heal the inside of you and your eyes will be open and you'll realize your happiness is on the other side of obedience. Hallelujah. There are miracles that are this close to the lives of the people that are in this congregation right now, and you just have one small decision to make. And if you'll make that hard decision, listen to me, Mama. You're not there to be your baby's friend. You're so busy trying to be cool for your kids that you forgot to confront them when they're on the road to hell. Well, I don't want to run them off. They're already off. You need to go ahead and start praying for the revelation of truth and glorifying God and let the Lord open up that window of heaven because I promise you the answer for your life is already in your life, but you've told them to hush because you think you know better. I don't know to whom I'm speaking, but I feel a, a gift of prophecy coming on me right now. Do you mind if I make this sermon plain? There are some of you who are begging for miracles of healing while you dive too deep in bacon double cheeseburgers. Help me preach. Preach. You want God to heal your marriage, but you hadn't bought a a bucket of roses in 20 years. I bind that spirit in the name of Jesus. You want to heal your home. You start saying I love you instead of cursing in the morning. You read that Bible in the morning. You get about the Father's business. I would that God would open your eyes, get you out of the bed of complacency so that you can be what God called you to be. If you're going to see the angels of God, you've got to cooperate with the spirit of God. You've got to be where God called you to be, doing what God called you to do. You've got to come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. A holy nation, a peculiar people, a royal priesthood. I'm giving away my sermon tonight, but I'm going to preach tonight at Mark Rutland's son's church. The revival of peculiar is coming to America. Because you can't fake peculiar. i got a whole church full of it. That's how we get our word out there. Something just a little bit different about you. You've been blending in with the devil so long. You've been hanging around trying to be friends with the devil. Be, be, you know what? I, I'm just friends with them. I'm just friends with this. I'm just friends with that. No, you're being tempted by that, and you're calling it gospel evangelism. I call it backsliding. I believe with all of my heart that I'm standing at the windowsill of your life and you're wringing your hands. What shall we do? I'm praying right now that God open your eyes that you might see. That you might stop begging for provision that God would give you obedient vision. And that God would illuminate your eyesight so that you could look over the landscape of your life and see that God has already supplied all of your needs according to His riches and glory. And if you don't have it, maybe it's because you don't need it. Heavenly Father, I praise you right now. I magnify and I exalt your holy name. For you are great, O God, and greatly to be praised. You are the fairest of ten thousand and the lily of the valley and the bright and the morning star. And I ask you, God, in the name of Jesus, open their eyes that they might see. That the answer is just on the other side of their obedience. Their answers on the other side of their connection. Their answers just on the other side of saying yes to the Lord and no to the devil. In the name of Jesus. Would you stand with me? I feel an altar of salvation. I need you praying, church. I feel the Holy Spirit prompting me to do what I'm about to do. There's someone here. Listen to me. You are toying around with a sin. And you think it's cute and you've heard from somebody that tells you it doesn't matter what the Bible says. It just matters whether or not you feel good about it. And you are being seduced into a lifestyle of hell. And I promise you, if you don't listen to me this morning and you continue to reject God's voice, five years from this day, you'll look back on this moment and you'll say, I wish to God I had heard the word of the Lord. You are headed down a trail that will not end well for you. If you're watching me online, there are times when I'm preaching that I feel that the Holy Ghost has consumed the moment that I am obligated to say things that I don't know precisely where they fit or why I'm obligated to say them. But I feel like God may be speaking to you. You don't have to go to hell. You don't have to live in hell. The answer is all around you. The heavens declare His glory, and the earth is handiwork. Can't you see that He loves you? They that be for us are more than they that be against us. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Please, no one's looking around. I'm not going to single you out. I want to teach you how to pray. Those of you who need to make things right with God... This is a great prayer for you to pray. Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I can't change. I've tried. I'm sorry. I know that you came and I know you lived a good life. And I know that you lived a perfect life. You died on a cross for me and you rose from the dead and you're coming back. I believe that. Can you forgive me? Will you come into my heart and save me? And write my name down in the Lamb's book of life. Let me be a Christian. In the name of Jesus. With no one looking around, if you prayed that prayer today... Would you quietly lift your hand? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. All over the congregation. God bless you. If you're watching me online or watching me on television and you prayed that prayer, would you type into the the chat box, I prayed that prayer, so that we can know that you've given your life to God, so we can share the moment with you, Now, I'm going to dismiss the service with a blessing today. I have authority to bless your life. God has given me the authority with His Word and with the calling and anointing that's on this church. And when I'm finished blessing your life and I dismiss the service, we usually clap and ask God to receive our praise for the service. But when you leave, please leave quietly because I want to open the altars. If you would like special prayer, I want you to come to the altar. My wife and I will stay here and lay hands on those that come until we're finished. Especially those who lifted your hand today. We'd like to pray with you. May you be blessed in the city and blessed in the field. Blessed when you rise and when you lay down at night. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Turn His countenance towards you. And be gracious to you. Make his face shine on you. And give you peace. Beauty for ashes. And the oil of joy for mourning. A garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm on your face and the rains fall softly on your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. God bless you. I love you. I'll see you next Sunday.
0: We hope you enjoyed Pastor Joey's word today. To find out more about our ministry, visit bcog.me. Our services are live streamed weekly on Sundays at 11 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you have any questions, you can talk to one of our pastors anytime via bcog.me messenger. See you again in the next podcast episode.